0: How's it going, my fellow history scholars? Welcome back to the podcast where we talk about the unanswered questions of history and unravel the mystery of the many questions we ask about our past. All right, today I'm your host and welcome back Ian as well. Ian, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody, and welcome back. And welcome our special guest star today, archaeologist Scott Dawson from the Croton Archaeological Society. He's the author of the lost book. uh, Sorry, the book, The Lost Colony in Hatteras Island, and has been making some incredible finds regarding the lost colony of Roanoke. So you want to say hi?
1: Hello, hello, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us today, Scott.
1: Uh, No problem, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. So before we begin, we'd like to remind you that you can check our Facebook and our Twitter pages for information on the episodes, as well as to ask questions and to stay up to date on information concerning the podcast. We also have a community page for more information and to interact with the podcast, and we're also in the development of a Patreon-only Discord server for more direct interaction with the podcast. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by donating on Anchor and or our Patreon page, which gives you exclusive access to bonus content and more for as little as $3 a month. You can also support us by joining the community page and sharing any historical information you come across. And then on the end, we'll give some shout outs to those of you who have already liked and been following our social media platforms. And we thank you for the growth that it's already been experiencing. So don't forget to follow, like, comment and even write a review for any of our platforms as we really appreciate listener interaction. All right. So jumping right into the meat of it. Like I said, today we are going to be interviewing archaeologist and historian Scott Dawson, president of the Croatoan Archaeological Society who along with this team have been making some incredible recent discoveries concerning the lost colony of Roanoke, one of America's oldest cold case disappearances. All right. So, uh, Scott, if you don't have anything else to say,
1: uh, we'll jump right into it. Just ask whatever you want to know.
0: All right. Thanks, man. All right. So jumping right into our first question, uh,
2: Ian, you want to go ahead? Yeah. Uh, Scott, what is the Lost Colony of Roanoke uh, for a basic overview to our audience? And uh, why is it important?
1: Okay. So the Lost Colony of Roanoke is an English colony that came 20 years before Jamestown and more than 30 years before Plymouth Rock to the United States. And they were interested in using the the coastline of North Carolina to uh, basically pirate the Spanish who they were at war with. And there were several voyages in the 1580s that took place. And the fourth one um, was abandoned uh, for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into, but they never contacted them again. And they had been instructed to write down where they had relocated to. And they wrote the word Croatoan, which is the old name of Hatteras Island. And for a lot of political reasons, nobody looked for them there ever until 2009, when we started digging and we dug them up.
0: Wow. Wow. That's quite amazing. And uh, it's definitely one of the biggest and most important chapters in American history. And so why do you think there's probably been such a dispute over Roanoke throughout American history and over the years? Well, for a long time, the entire story was pretty much
1: forgotten. Uh, when King James took the throne after Queen Elizabeth, he hated the uh, investors of the colony. He hated everybody involved. One of the principal investors, Sir Walter Raleigh, which um, the capital of North Carolina is named after, was put in the tower of London and, and beheaded. He really went after all of them, and, and uh, Jamestown kind of overshadowed everything. Then in the 1930s, nineteen thirty seven a fiction play began, but you got to remember this is 1937 in the rural South. So it was still under segregation and the play is um, beyond racist. They they had uh, white kids painted Brown to play Indians as recent as last year. So the idea of this colony assimilating with Indians was not how they wanted to end the play. So instead they created this mystery There really isn't one Um, in the play there is because they don't explain what the cryptic message on the tree left by the colony means. They don't explain that it's a real place and a real people that the English had been interacting with for years. They don't explain any of that. And they pretty much make it look like the Indians killed them uh, in in the uh, fiction version of history. But... I will give the play some credit because without it the story probably would have been forgotten completely so it did keep it in the public conscience even though it was a fake <clears throat> version and um so we just needed to to dig them up and get the physical evidence to prove what everybody in this small part of the world already knew which is that the colony went to Proton. and so we dug them up and. We got their weapons and their art and their tools and even their architecture and metallurgy everything you could possibly find we found
0: wow wow so you think it's really because of the play that uh the whole story has really been twisted and turned around to this mystery
1: it's absolutely because of the play and when this happens all the time in history uh, think about like walt disney's pocahontas for example and pocahontas is a real person and and not all of it's made up but the disney version is completely different from what actually happened and um you see this with billy the kid or blackbeard there's lots and lots of parts of history that once um popular fiction takes over and makes money you can't kill it so that's that's where a lot of the hype comes from is from the the fake history so in the, this book, um, what I did was I really tried to break down the, the real history in the first half and then the archaeology in the second half. Because if you're not armed with the history, you won't really understand the archaeology. Um, but if you are armed with the real history, it's really easy to understand what happened and why it happened and how it happened.
0: Wow. Wow. So uh, you want to explain a little bit more about your book? The the title is "The Lost Colony and Hatteras Island," right?
1: Right. So I cleared up a lot of the um, mythologies and in, in the kind of I guess standard version of Lost Colony that you would get if you Googled it or whatever. They they start the story in the middle, like Star Trek, and they have the 1587 voyage, and they don't tell you anything about the voyages from 1587. 158- 84, 85, 86, and you really need to know what transpired before the Lost Colony got here to understand the fate that ultimately um, shaped where they went and why. So uh, just a, a quick breakdown. Um, the first voyage was in 1584, landed at Hatteras Island, and there were no women, there were no kids, and they weren't trying to have babies and make a colony they were here to slit throats and steal gold they wanted to build an offshore make navy base to raid the spanish in hatteras island if you look on a map it it's juts out to the east um near the gulf stream and the spanish who were already well entrenched in florida and the caribbean they would follow the gulf stream to get home back to spain so if you could catch those ships on their way home you could steal them and take their gold and silver, which is what they were trying to do. When they arrived at Croatoan, which is now Hatteras Island, uh, they met the native tribe there, Croatoan, and they made a secondary profit through trade. They didn't get anything great like gold, but they were getting pearls and tobacco and deer skins and things like that, and natural resources like lumber, what have you. So the second voyage that came in got sucked into... The local affairs, I guess you call it, because the Croatoan had enemies. They had enemies on the mainland part of North Carolina called the Sapon, who they bitterly hated. For that's a whole other podcast. But the English got sucked into that, and they ended up burning down this village called Cock and they murdered a chief, and they kidnapped children, and did what the English do. Um. And the Croatoan helped them every step of the way helped them do this. They helped them ambush the chief. They were used as translators and spies, and they loved it. It would be like somebody landing in Europe and wiping out the French for the English. So they loved it. Um, Then that voyage left, went back to England, and their resupply, which was late, came in. They didn't have cell phones to communicate this. And the third voyage came in dropped off 15 men on Roanoke. And they were basically diving headfirst into a wood chipper, and they didn't know it. They did not know that um, the English were at war with this mainland tribe. They had no way of knowing. And so the Indians from the mainland killed them, um, or at least two of them, and chased the rest of them off. When the Lost Colony came in, they were going to pick up these 15 men on Roanoke Island, and they found a skeleton of one of them. And they didn't find the rest of them, but they found that the fort had been burned down and all the houses were overgrown with melons had deer in them. So nobody had been there in a while. Then one of the, one of the, your lost colonists got killed. His name is George Howe, And he wasn't just killed. They shot him 16 times the arrows and then bashed his brains in oh and spread them around the marsh. So they were sending a message when George Howe was killed. This was a pivotal event. The, um, the governor of the colony, his name is John White, and he'd been, this was his second time coming over, he sent um, 25 of the colonists down to Croatoan, where they'd been going back and forth for years, and asked them for help and asked what happened and who had killed George Howe and where are the 15 guys from the year before. And they were hosted to a feast and welcomed back and played music, and they told them exactly what happened, which is that the, the natives from Dasaka Monopo, which is the nearest town on the mainland to Roanoke Island uh, had killed him. So they, it turns into middle school at this point and they, they say, well, can you ask, ask them if they like us, you know, and try to smooth things over and tell them that we'll forgive them for killing George Howe and all that. If they can forgive us for what these other guys did and please explain to them that we're a completely different group. We had nothing to do with murdering their chief, etc. So the, the Hatteras tribe or Croaton tribe, same thing. Instead of doing that, they went to the mainland and, and just smashed them and took over the town and stole all of their food and then gave it to the English, which the mm-hmm. English um, were fine with that too. So that's the situation they were in before the governor left to get resupplies. But they don't tell you any of that it, ever. Yeah. Like that is only existing in. Um, the primary sources written by the guys who were there in my book that is always left out. And there's a lot that I didn't say, but that's in a nutshell, what was going on. They're getting along with this tribe. They're not getting along with this one. And they're told to write down where they relocated to. Now, when you see the word Croatoan, it's like, well, no, you know, like (laughs) there is nowhere else to go. And, um, but what happened is, the governor, when he got back to England, remember the war with Spain is heating up. So the Spanish Armada attacks England in 1588, which people are kind of familiar with that. Francis Drake saved the day along with the hurricane. The next year, he can't leave because he well he does leave. John White does leave, but they get attacked by the French. And he's at they win this fight, but John White himself is shot in the butt and slashed in the side with a sword and stabbed in the head with a pike, along with a lot of others. So they dumped the wounded off. Um, They weren't very far away from England, so they turned around and dumped the wounded off. The third try, he finally hitches a ride with pirates, basically, in 1590. He's got a daughter and granddaughter in the colony, desperately wants to get back. He's been wounded three times. He's tried three times. He finally gets back, and his one kind of ally that he – the way that he was able to hitch ride with pirates is there was one old Navy buddy named Edward Spicer. That was his end. And that, that guy drowned. So when, when that happened, they, uh, they didn't even want to go to Roanoke because the Edward Spicer drowned in the inlet, like right next to Roanoke. And he had to beg and plead to let them at least look because they'd come that far. He gets to Roanoke, sees the message, Everybody agrees to go to Croaton the very, very next day. They know what it means. There's no mystery. There's nothing ambiguous about it. They try to go to Croton which is only fifty miles away. They get hit by a hurricane.
2: Oh, it nice. blows them
1: twenty-three miles out to sea. And the, these pirates are basically like, "Screw you and your colony. We want. We came to to slip through, steal gold, and screw horse. Horse. We don't care about your colony." They didn't even make it back to England. They wrecked in Ireland. And uh, White does not want to go to the newspapers and say, hey, they're at Croatoan because of all the Spanish spies. The Spanish had been actively looking for this colony. We're going to kill them all. They'd already done this to a French colony in South Carolina. So he writes a letter to Richard Hockloup, which is the court historian for Queen Elizabeth. He's a little bit famous as well. And he tells them, what I told you, they're at Croatone, blah, 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 and then John White dies, and so does Elizabeth, King James comes in, puts all the investors in jail, doesn't make any attempt to find the colony, knows where they are the entire time, does Jamestown instead, so that's it.
0: So a uh, hotbed with the the Native Americans uh they have the problem with the pirates and then the disluck with the hurricanes. So ultimately with all those combined yeah, there's it uh hard just way Indians to find the truth.
1: hurricanes and backstabbing
0: uh, and politics. I, I had so, no idea this was such a, 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 bl- a bloody story.
1: Yeah.
0: There's a and, yeah, and I think there's a lot more yeah. involved with the story than and then people would want to think too. There's a whole another layer. Yeah
1: then you had the modern day politics and all that. And the myth makes money. And the County seat is in Manio, which is on Roanoke Island. And you had Andy Griffith, the guy that, you know, played Andy Griffith and Matlock and all that. He was in the play. President right. Roosevelt was at the opening of the play. It was a big play at one point, And it had a lot of influence in it. Uh, people, they just don't want a good myth to die. You know, is. Yeah. Some people, no matter what evidence we pull out of the ground, are just going to refuse to accept it. And that's okay. You know, we're just doing it for the other ninety-nine percent of people.
0: Uh, right. Well, that's a that's a very interesting story for sure. So, uh, and this is uh, another question for you. When did you first become interested in the Lost Colony of Roanoke, and uh, what was what about the story? made you interested in it and spend so many years trying to solve it?
1: Well, I, I had no idea. Um, I knew about the Croatoan Indians as a kid because I grew up on that island and my, my family goes back to them and I knew the play was fake, but I, I didn't know any of what I just told you until I was uh, working as a historical interpreter in my early twenties and I sat down and started reading the real sources is the ship logs and everything from from all these guys who actually came over here and it was like the coolest book I'd ever read except it wasn't a book it was a bunch of different documents and once I learned the real story I thought oh my god man like people need to know about this how does no one know about this and I just started um really with the history and then uh, as far as the archaeology I needed people with the right titles with PhDs to come to the island and, and dig it up. We needed a group of professionals and I didn't really care who it was. And I started emailing all kinds of universities and, um, Dr. Mark Horton is probably the most famous archeologist in the world, uh, that doesn't deal with Egypt. And when he called, I, I thought it was a prank. And I I really didn't believe it until he actually showed up. And I thought, oh, "Oh God, man, uh, I've talked in big talk. I better find something now, you know, because um, I'd seen a little bit when people were building houses and, like, after storms. I'd seen some, some Indian artifacts. So I knew, well, if we go there, at least we'll get that. He didn't come from England for nothing. And we ended up finding a perfect sequence of, Uh, like a big layer cake, a perfect sequence from, you know, your 1980s Sony Walkman all the way down to about 1650. And then two years later, we ended up finding stuff from the 1580s and we've been finding that for the last eight years. And um, it just grew and grew and grew as he brought in more colleagues and you know it's it's kind of surreal they had uh Big Knowles down there from the bbc national geographic discovery channel history channel twice travel channel got to ride jet skis with josh gates and all that mess and but the the coolest part is is the way that they were able to map out this assimilation you know it's not just finding stuff yeah. You're, you're getting evidence of how the colony lived and were hanging on, where you're seeing really fine glass that was made in Italy um, being shipped into arrowheads. And, you know, just the repurposing of all these um, English artifacts into more useful things. Um, there's a, a scientist, he's, I think he's from up y'all's way in Chicago, who's named Bruce Kaiser, and he invented the XRF machine which it looks like a big price gun and you can zap anything with it. And it tells you the elemental makeup oh is plugged into a laptop and there's a periodic table and it tells you there's this much, you know, carbon or potassium or what have you. And, and so you can look at a piece of glass and see how much lead is in it. And I, I don't know exactly how that works, but good for him. That's incredible. And they, they brought all that down and, were able to tell us like this is cheaply made glass this is expensive this is that and some of the arrowheads were made out of the finest glass in the world which shows that you know at some point this pretentious plate or whatever didn't matter as much as having some more arrowheads there's no uh, rock on Hatteras island at all there's shells and bones and other things most of the arrowheads there are made out of uh, stingray barbs oh really so a glass arrowhead would actually be probably better for that and uh you know the the fish hooks made out of the copper earrings and the um, the gun barrels even are, are repurposed for tapping uh sap out of trees and building canoes and all that mess so you can see where they're just hanging on hanging on like trying and the the real proof is in the um the mixed architecture so you've got the Indians, at least on this island anyway, they lived in long houses with uh, really, like, round um, saplings that they would just basically make a, well, kind of a Twinkie-shaped house out of it, and they would bend the saplings over and just tie them off. And so their post holes or their buildings are always round, whereas in English they had giant squares, and they would plane the trees, and – um cut dovetails and knock wooden pegs into it. And we found that in the Indian village surrounded by over 600 post holes from these native dwellings. And we even found the the forges where they were working with lead and copper and iron. And these technologies would have been completely alien to the natives, but they learned how to do it because they continued to do it for decades. After the colony was gone, or maybe there's a few dozen still hanging around. There's a lot we don't, we don't know, but um, we'll probably never will. And that's okay.
0: All right. Well, we're going to cut into our ad break here, and then we'll be right back momentarily. Sorry for the interruption of the podcast, but we will be right back after a short message from our sponsor. All right. So coming back, you were talking about the, the mixed architecture between the Native Americans and the European contact and how uh, a lot of those European artifacts were actually transformed in ways that were they're more useful, essentially, than their original purpose, right? That's
1: right. And I, I found that fascinating. And, um, you know, the colony did not know they were lost. They had no way of knowing that nobody was coming back so we always assumed that there would be some chunk of the island where there was a survivor's camp kind of a pure english little corner of the island and where we were digging is in indian villages and we were finding um 16th century english artifacts as well as houses and metallurgy in the indian villages which was um not expected we expected to find A handful of English items in the native villages because of course they're going to be interacting and trading and that kind of thing we did not expect to see them living together in the same village which is what we found and we ended up um, locating the survivors camp which we were going to really open up and look at this year and didn't get to because of COVID which was gutting but um, the way that we located the survivors' camp is a pretty insane story. It involved a lot of luck. But, um, you know, it, it happened. And uh, I, I can't wait to get in there. I think that's probably the mother load of English artifacts.
2: Yeah. How about um, why, don't you, why don't you tell us about how you discovered the, uh, the survivors' camp?
1: Oh, you you saw that on Discovery? What'd you say?
2: Oh, yeah. I said... uh, how did we do it? Yeah, how did you end up finding Um, the the camp?
1: Okay. All right. So there there was an archaeologist from... Let me back up more. My fourth grade teacher's dad,
2: all right, (laughs) found
1: (laughs) this thing called a uh, Nuremberg token. You know, Nuremberg, like the Nuremberg trials for the Nazis. Right, right, right. There's a, a metallurgist um, named Yaakam Gans, the first Jewish person in America, maybe. Um, and uh, he probably is the one that brought these over. But there, it's an extremely rare artifact. It's not valuable. It's just a ridiculously rare thing that you can trace to, like, three people. And um, it's made by a father, son, and grand and grandfather. Uh, named Hans Schultz, the first, the second, and the third. One of them was found by my fourth grade teacher's dad back in the 1930s. Oh. But he didn't know what it was. And an archaeologist came down there named William Hag in the 1950s and told him what it was. And he said, this is from the 16th century. It's a big deal is, you know, the association with lost colony and all that mess. When he, and he took it. Well, a few years later, they found three more of those tokens, but up in Roanoke Island, which is what the island that the colony left from when they came to Hatteras. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of different tokens. And what they had on Roanoke was only two types, and the one from Hatteras matched one of those types. So it's like if you had a, a nickel and two dimes, and then the other guy found a dime... But let's say there's 100,000 different types of nickels and dimes, you know, and you got the exact same one. So in other words, the odds of them not being from the same source are astronomical. You can't even I don't even know the equation for it. So they got to be from the same source. But the problem was the one found in Hatteras was just by a regular person and he was building a bar. And the ones they found on Roanoke Island were not found by archaeologists either. They were actually building the fake fort that they call Fort Raleigh. They, they built that. It's not the real fort. And when they were using a backhoe to build that thing is when they found these um, tokens. So you don't really know how old they are. or Well, you know how old they are, but you don't know when they got there if you don't go through all the layers scientifically. So there's a lot of doubt as to what they were. But we wanted to know where he found that token because it it didn't appear to be where we were digging where he found it and we were moving a bookshelf at the hatter's library and found the manuscript underneath the shelf what? and it gave the latitude of where they found the token wow. so we went there and then we flew a drone over it that they Discovery Channel had paid for and borrowed from I think the Navy and we ended up discovering a fort um, kind of rectangular in shape and north-south oriented and all this mess uh, under the ground they can look at the different levels of chlorophyll and some other mess I don't understand and everybody got really excited about this fort and that's where that token had come from and recently a silver coin had come out of there Um, By some people that were playing frisbee golf and it's from the 1500s as well. So it's looking like a a prime spot Well, then we ended up finding another Nuremberg token In the Indian village and it matched the other type of token from Roanoke Island So now now it's like ridiculous, you know, we they have two types that have been found on Roanoke although by accident And we have two types that have been found on Hatteras, spaced way apart. One at the survivor's camp, or possible survivor's camp, and one in the heart of the Indian village. And they match the two types from Roanoke. So that really solidifies it. And the the one that we found is the only one that was found scientifically in a layer by a team of scientists the right way and all this. So it kind of validates the other three a, a little bit. Um, you know, and, uh, it was actually Nick Knowles that pulled it out of the sifter the guy from BBC and top gear. And, uh, we had, we had just done a tour of the park service finds on Roanoke Island. And we asked them what was their best evidence of anything from the colony. And they showed us these tokens and we found one the next day on a good Friday of 2000. 13 or 12 I can't remember that's why I wrote it down but uh yeah it's I mean you can't make this stuff up like yeah. we were moving a bookshelf and found it you know <laughs> that's private sticker straight out of
2: Jones.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that's a that's a, a crazy discovery that's, that's amazing sometimes
1: you have to bow to the insert, you know but uh yeah I can't wait to get in there and see what's there
0: so how many years have you guys been excavating out there could
1: be we started digging in 2009 but that year wasn't a that year doesn't really count it was only like four of us and we were doing test pits which looked like a hot tub it's like a little two meter by two meter right and um but we ended up finding three indians in the bottom which was kind of creepy it was friday the 13th and it was raining a hurricane was hitting we washed the road out and um Jeez. we were having to everything was closed because the hurricane so we had to make a village pump out of a car battery and all this we kind of made like a redneck village pump and we're sucking the mud out of the bottom and out came this human jawbone and, and it, oh. you know it kind of freaked me out it was one of one of the indians in there was a child had baby teeth so we had another pit going, um, a little further up the hill, and we'd found these French pistols, so I just went over there, and did that, um, everybody started getting really stressed out, and, but anyway, after that, um, the next year, we, we were trying to avoid, we didn't want to dig up bodies, like, if you can help no. it you know the, but it's not no. like these graves were marked or anything and so we tried to scoot over a little bit and it happened again and when the archaeologists were trying to leave this time uh, that volcano exploded in Iceland and covered England with ash and their flights were delayed so it was um, two years in a row that they had to stay extra time and then when they ended up staying extra time they found more stuff so it's like the island didn't want them to leave <laughs> Third year was tornadoes. They switched their flights from Norfolk, Virginia to Raleigh and tornadoes hit Raleigh and killed 30 people. So, but after that, everything's been smooth on all the other years. So, um, but we also moved about a mile down the road. So I don't know. It's got a little spooky.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like an, an omen hanging over the area.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There, there was a woman, um, that they dug up that uh, they had two kinds of burials that the, the and Indians had ossuaries like mass graves, which is what we found the first time a little corner of one. And then they had uh, flex burials where they're in a fetal position. And there was a woman it was just her face and her hands like, like this. And, um, like, you know, crap. Like nobody likes finding that stuff. And cause you have to stop and you have, there's all these regulations and, whatever, and as soon as it happened, this eerie fog rolled in, uh, and I was not there when they dug her up. I was at the dig house cleaning. You've always got people, like, rotating at the dig house, washing artifacts, and doing all the work part, right. and um, this fog rolled in, and somebody's like, I bet they just found a body, and they had. So, we call her a fog lady, but you know, I mean, that, that happened. It, it's... I don't know how to explain it, but other than to say that's what happened. Yeah.
2: Now, now hearing the stories of uh, being cursed after disturbing an Indian burial site are so starting to make sense to me. Yeah, that's yeah man. I mean, it could be
1: coincidence, but um, I'll tell you, there was a a huge ossuary uncovered way back in 1974. Before I was born, but um, 110 people. So I think that's the biggest one, certainly on the island, possibly the state. And it was found by four kids and they were like, I don't know, like 12 when it happened, digging forts and that kind of mess. Uh-huh. And they just found one skull, but then they called in the state and they opened it up and they ended up being like 110, the minimum number was 110 people. And I met one of them um, after hurricane Irene we get hit by hurricanes like every two years and uh it had washed the uh, an inlet across and so we had to take a ferry to get off the island instead of a bridge and I met him on the ferry and people at the, the island small enough they kind of know who I am now and like oh, you're the one that does all that digging everybody always says you're the one because I have a twin brother so they got to <laughs> make sure and, and I said yeah and he told me about he said yeah I was one of those kids that dug up that ossuary in the seventies. And he told me this story about how he and the other three had these horrible nightmares afterward. So I asked him, you know, well, what was the nightmare? I just wanted the details something like that. And he said, there was a, an Indian sitting at the end of his bed, like in his bedroom. And he had a hat on. I said, what'd the hat look like? And he said, it looked like a jester hat, which they wouldn't have. And he kind of drew it for me on this little napkin. And then uh, one of the girls that had been part of that group of preteens was actually my daughter's um, teacher at the time. So I asked her about it, and uh, she got a little bit upset because they swear they all had the same dream. And I know how kids like do that, and they, they can convince themselves of that or whatever. But the tricky part is I started um, – see if I can find a book with it – but the shamans – of the Croatan tribe would wear a, a bird in the side of their head. And it did have three feathers sticking out like that. So that was a little creepy.
0: Wow. Yeah, for sure. You
1: know, <clears throat> so I never told him that I just let it go. But, you know, they're all 30 years older now and or shoot almost 40 years older now than when that happened.
0: Wow. Yeah. So obviously, there's there's multiple so, theories and ideas concerning the lost colony of Roanoke. Yeah. So, uh, and one of those has included stuff like the supernatural. Do you think you've had any encounters? And, and I'm saying this loosely, considering everything yeah. you have said so far.
1: No, I mean I don't actually believe that. I just, you know, some weird stuff has happened, and I'll be honest about it. But I think you can always, like, if you're looking for that, you'll find it you know right exactly but i I haven't had anything like truly supernatural happen now but uh you know it part of the reason that it has been associated with that is because of the the fake history where they um i don't remember is dc or marvel but one of them one of the bad guys from batman he's like a swamp version of the hulk uh they had him be born on roanoke island so it's been associated with like everything black magic and all that mess forever because of um grumpy that was his name or grumpy or something like that whatever uh you know there there's a lot of theories out there and most of them are garbage um <laughs> like i said earlier if you know the, if you know the real history it's not even a mystery it's, yeah. it's it's like if you grew up in the 80s and there's no cell phones and you're married with kids and you've got to mail a really important bill, which you had to go to the post office to mail it. And um, your your wife is like, well, we're, we're hungry. We're going to go out to eat. Like, well, where are you going? Like, I don't know. Maybe Burger King, maybe Wendy's, whatever. And you say, well, just put a note on the door so when I come home, I know where you went. And they, you come home and it says, we went to Wendy's. Are you then going to look for them at McDonald's? Because... That is what has happened, you know, like right. they wrote down where they went. And in the mythology, they pretend that no one knows what that word means, even though it's on the maps and they give the latitude and like it's mentioned 1600 times. Like they they know what it means. But I remember learning in school in the textbooks that they didn't know what Croaton meant. And we're sitting on the Croatoan Island when that happened. And everyone's like, uh, well, my mom or my granddad said, this is croton and the teacher shuts the book is like, yes, look, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, this is it. And sometimes your books are wrong and this is how it goes and whatever. But, um, yeah, it's like that simple. And they, they, uh, they'll, they'll say, well, maybe they went inland. And if you didn't know any of the history, that would be a reasonable thing to go. Well, yeah, there's a lot more land for farming. Like, why not go inland? But if you know the actual history is like, well, because one of them had been shot 16 times by Indians from the mainland and they had slaughtered 15 guys from the year before. And it would be like a like a Jewish family during World War Two fleeing Poland by going to Germany, except it's even dumber because they couldn't fit in (laughs)
2: like
1: they couldn't move in. So it's just not really an option.
2: Right. Right.
1: But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know the real history. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's lots and lots and lots of theories, and um, you know, they make sense if you if you start the story in the middle and don't know the facts.
0: Right. Right. So you're talking about the the theory about the moving inland. Do you think where that's where uh, all the ideas about John White's map and the supposed location of the the hidden fort on that is? You yeah. do you think that's or where so, all that came up?
1: Well, it came up before that, but... So, Brent Lane, who never gets credit, is a friend of mine. He's actually part of... He's been on some of our digs. He was the guy that found the patch on the map. There's two patches on the map. Right. Who made the map? John White. Right. governor. He made the map. When did he make the map? That's a good thing to ask. He made the map 1585. Lost colonies in 1587. So... John White says they're at Croatoan. And he and he says, I was greatly joyed for a token of their safe arrival, like finding the message on the tree at Croatoan, the place where Manu was born, and people at Island are friends. And he, he mentions like all those, you know, bastards from Dasikamonico dug up my armor and all my and ruined all my stuff as soon as they saw our planners leave for Croatoan. There's no doubt in his mind where the colony went, and he's the dude that made the map. Right. So why did he put a patch on a map and a fort there? And the reason, if you know the the real history again, in 1585 when he made that map, there was a commander named Ralph Lane who wanted to build a series of forts along the rivers to control the water, because mm-hmm. that's where they had the greatest advantage over the natives. Is like a, a ship with scatter shot and cannons beats a canoe every time. Whereas in the woods, bow and arrows versus the crappy guns they had was a little bit more fair. So he wanted to dominate the water. And this is what the Spanish had done. And where that fort is, where that patch is, three rivers come together. It's a perfect place strategically to put a fort. But it was never built because they started to starve to death. They ate their own hunting dogs even. And they ended up going back to England with Francis Drake. So White puts a path over the map because they never built one there. It's basically 16th century White Out, is mm-hmm. what it is. And if the map had been made by somebody else, there might be some validity to it. But the dude that made the map is telling you they went over here. So and he's got a daughter and granddaughter in the colony. And and you look at what he went through to come back. But he won he's not gonna lie about it. He got shot, stabbed twice, you know. He's gonna tell the truth, and he's telling the court historian with if he was found lying to would have been beheaded that they went to Croaton. So there's that. Um and they went over there and, and dug up this in a place called Bertie County and they found some borderware which is made in the fifteenth, sixteen, and seventeen hundreds kind of the same way. So when you find something like that, you look at the artifacts associated with it that are also on that layer and they're all from the 17th century which means so was the border where and it be, uh, essentially made a mountain out of an anthill and um, have since quietly admitted nothing's there. So. Wow.
0: So ultimately you think that, that, or, well, you know now because of the archeological evidence that that patch on the map was actually a field for it.
1: Yeah. That's well, interesting. I, I knew that anyway. There, and there's a, there's another patch on a map over Scranton, North Carolina, in that area down there and, and um you know, whatever. It it's uh not easy when you make a watercolored map and you make a mistake to fix it. Right. So one of the simplest things to do is to just put another piece down. And yeah, it's it's cool. I think it's really neat that he found a fort underneath that patch because I was like, "Look, he had painted a fort here because they were going to build one there," and that's a neat discovery. But that's all it is.
2: Right.
0: Gotcha. So you all, you talked about a lot of the publicity as well and uh, how a lot of it, including especially the play, uh, ultimately created a, a negative image for it. And you're even talking about stuff as silly as uh the yeah. batman's batman's villain that uh really discredited and created this huge mystery around the story so what about yeah. what about p- positive publicity and uh, have you got any pop positive publicity for the research and discoveries that you guys have been I making think,
1: yeah i think one of the best ones we had was a, a show that i thought was going to be silly but it was expedition unknown with josh gates and it's kind of a family show, and it's and they, they create a lot of drama, um, needlessly, and you know whatever. It's good TV, but um, right. they really listened and they actually kept their word and they, I, I don't know if we just won them over or what, but they did a good job on a they showed some of our artifacts. It was we had at that point when we were filming, we hadn't found everything that we have now, but they kind of showed what we had and uh, and explained it pretty well and. And, um, I, I think it was an overall positive and, and, uh, the one discovery science channel came down. It was a weird time because national geographic magazine was at the dig site and there was a lot of friction, but, um, we ended up getting it in half an episode and the first half of the episode was sinkholes in Florida. So when people are hitting the guide button, they don't see anything about the lost colony. So not many people have seen it. But if you see that one, that's where we actually found the uh, fort, and that that was live. That was actually live because they're the ones who had the drone, and um, I was just sitting there like this can't be happening right now. There's no <laughs> way because nothing ever happens a lot when they're there, you know. Exactly. Like, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, you want to think.
1: But um, I think with Josh Gates, we just found some pottery and some pipes and like a couple glass beads, but. We only dug a hole the size of a boogie board because it, it was a dog and pony show. You know, you're know, you not going to open up a big, huge thing just for a TV. Right. So uh, we did like a small hole alone. And so there's been some positive, and Most of the positive press has been written word. There hasn't been a lot with TV. Um, Outer Banks Voice locally here did a really good one uh, just last June. Um, there's been some... Not so good written word as well, but uh, that's to be expected, you know? Right. It's, it is what it is. So, people right. that get the book and read it, um, so it's only been out a month, but the most common thing I hear about it is man, this makes so much sense. I've read so many books on this, and this makes so much sense. It's because we put the scientific method to the history it's not just theoryville um you could argue all day about just about anything but if you put it through the scientific method you start getting some answers i mean we have found them there is um, a possibility that you know 10 or 12 of them went somewhere else you could always argue whatever but there's no doubt that all or at least a bulk of them um lived out their lives on the island
0: right. Right, and uh, I I think what you're trying to say too, and what or at least what I've gotten from what you've said is that the ease the, the easiest way out is uh the, the more accurate most of the time, and I think again like you said with yeah. the tree, it's it's so obvious if you actually know the history, but uh, a lot of people right. come up with other theories, and another one of those theories included uh the dare stones, which you you did uh oh my God. did the whole thing yeah. with uh, Scott Walter right too.
1: That guy's such a tool. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know if he actually believed it like if he's that stupid or if he was just trying to to push the show and thought I was stupid. I don't know what the deal was, but well, the dare stones are fake as Joan River's face man. like <laughs> they, okay, so this guy was walking around Manio, which is the town where the play is, with a stone in a briefcase trying to say hey you know let let's say this and he wanted to um bury a tree in a swamp and have some fishermen pull it up like a year later with croatone on it he's full of shit okay i don't know if i'm allowed to say that so then he leaves after watching the play right and he's from california And he pulls over, he's driving back, he pulls over in the middle of nowhere North Carolina and walks like a mile into the woods to pick berries. He's never been to here before, but he knew there was some a mile off the road, right? And finds the first dare stone. And of course it says Indians killed them and all this mess. And it's by none other than one of the friggin' dare family. Like, you know, has to be the main character. Then you got like 40-something more stones that pop up, and they're all in like Georgia, right? So the colony walked to Atlanta, I guess, and it turns out that these guys all knew each other and had served together, and, and they had duped a Harvard, Harvard professor into thinking they were real. And then they tried to blackmail them, and they're like, we're going to ruin your career um, because these are really fake, and this is how we did it with vegetable oil and steel wool and all this mess. And we're going to ruin your career because you already said these are real. So you got to keep on saying it and this and that. And we want this much money. And he did the right thing and outed himself. It was like, you know what? I was duped, blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. And they, they admitted it and there's, they went to court. And this is all like been debunked forever ago, like back decades ago. And for whatever reason, the History Channel dug it out of the, you know, and wanted to pretend they were real because it sounded like a good story i guess right and uh you know the truth be damned and so they had me on the air and they were talking about it they never told me the show was about stones. they never told me that they lied to me and said they wanted to look at what we had found and they were doing a show in the lost colony and he came in and started talking about darestons i real quickly was like dude that's fake man like of all the theories, like that is the dumbest one, and um, like the ghost thing is better than that, you know. Yeah, it's it's horrible, and he he got really upset, and he said on the air that I pissed him off, which which made me laugh. And um, you know, whatever that guy's a tool. And uh, <laughs> I hope that he sees what we found now and all the science behind it, and he can eat it, you know.
2: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll be sure to tell that him uh, ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right I'm just messing with you. Go on. All right. So, uh, leaving off that subject. Um, what discoveries uh, are you hoping to find with this new uh, survivors camp that you've discovered, and uh, what do you think that they will look like, and how do you think they'll affect the uh, the story?
1: That you know I don't have a specific artifact um, in mind that I'd like to find. I guess, I guess a saker cannon would be cool because in the um in the literature they talk about finding some saker shot. Uh, a saker is like a medium small cannon that the colony had. They found some of the the balls, the shot for it, up on Roanoke Island that had been left behind. But they didn't find the cannon. So um, when John um, Lawson – sorry, that's a different John. When John White came back, he did find some heavy iron bars and things left behind. And um, I'd like to find that sacred cannon. I think that would really seal the deal. I I had been asked this question before about what would you like to find, and I said a rapier sword because it said in the literature that they – the english would not trade their swords um they would trade anything but their swords and uh a rapier is a gentleman's sword it's got the fancy handles i mean you could right. kill someone with it but it's mostly a decorative thing and we ended up yeah. finding one and it had a silver cross and heart on it and um, so i guess a sacred cannon would be cool but the fort itself would be interesting just getting an outline of that and um Anything I mean, we've already found just about everything you could we found all the bits of clothing not the cloth but you know the belt buckles and all the the brooches and There's really not a whole lot. We haven't found aside from That cannon (laughs) It's about the only thing we haven't found already. So I guess that would be it
0: Wow, that's amazing so I, I do have another question. How has COVID impacted your excavations and your research at, with all of this going on?
1: Yeah. COVID sucks for everybody. Um, so many people on our team, are, our leader, Dr. Uh, Mark Horton is from England. And so many of them are from Ireland and some of them are from, um, you know, all over the world and, and uh, with flights and all that, it, it, made it to where we couldn't dig at all this year. And, um, it's, it's kind of hurt, uh, myself as far as this book coming out, I can't go to a lecture hall and do a PowerPoint or whatever, or visit a school. And, um, so Amazon sales been really good, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just weird. You go to a book sign in and you're wearing a mask and, you know, people are having to stay off the porch and come up one at a time. It's got a, probably hurt sales but um it is what it is you know like everybody's dealing with covid i I actually work as a emt so i'm used to dressing up like that final scene in et to treat patients (laughs) and um at least i don't have to dress like that at a book sign in with a gown and everything goggles and all that mess but it's uh you know i think there'll be a vaccine eventually or who knows i just I I feel more sorry for the kids. You imagine uh, being a senior and you don't get to play football or whatever it is you've been doing your whole life because of COVID.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we can't imagine we are seniors or we were.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you didn't get to play spring sports right during it or no, we didn't
0: get any of those sports. Yeah. (sighs) That sucks. Yeah, man.
1: I mean, I, I think it's impacting the youth more. I have kids and, they, uh, you know, they they couldn't handle it. Like a lot of their, um, you know, they're at that age where they want to go to their friends' houses all the time, and some of them, their parents are really scared. They didn't want anybody coming over. Probably especially my kids, since I'm an EMT and I'm around COVID a lot. So I just took them surfing. But they're, uh I think kids are it's harder for them than for the adults. Yeah.
0: So what are the possible plans going forward and what discoveries do you think you guys might make?
1: Well, I think we're, we're still going to dig in the Indian villages a little bit um, because why wouldn't you? And you've been finding what we've been finding, but we're also going to probably have a trench going at the survivor's camp. And uh, we usually have at least two locations going at once. One that we publicize a little bit, that's um, where all the spies go. You know, and then another one <laughs> where we're actually digging. Uh, y- you have to do that to keep looters out. So we'll probably have like a fake dig going somewhere, and then we'll have one in the Indian village and one at the survivors camp. And um, you know, probably should not have said that. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
1: we, yeah, now we, people hope, are gonna we hope our
2: audience is, is not looters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they're not. Well, they're not really near here any, yeah. anyway.
2: So right. Well, we do have. We are international.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, oh well. I said it. You know. oh, it's all good. We used okay. we used to do one with the school, which wasn't a fake dig, but it was kind of a more just for them. And uh, the school is so small, it's sixth through twelfth grade. Then we took them out behind the school. Just to show them the process of archaeology. Like, this is how you dig. You don't just take a shovel and go straight down. And we're just showing them the right. mechanics of the whole thing. And we ended up finding um, Native American artifacts from like 500 BC. And the kids got to goop together uh, one side of a pot. It was 13 pieces of pottery and it ended up being like two feet wide. And um, so it was, must have been a huge vessel when it was all together. And they found a spearhead and some other stuff in a in a hole, you know half the size of a parking space so they they kind of lucked out you know with that but uh probably created some future archaeologists that day that's awesome yeah it was crazy so we might do that again if the school's ever have been i don't know what's going to happen we just make the best out of whatever it is
0: right it's all very up in the air right
2: now
1: yeah, I don't know what's going on. We do plan on digging in the spring. We usually do it over the college's spring break, so that all the grad students can come down because yeah. that's a lot easier than paying people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's <a> good <laughs> right. opportunity for them.
0: <laughs> get their get their doctors
2: and stuff in. Hey, Jake would be happy yeah. to help you.
1: <laughs> yeah, those guys are they're the ones that do all the work. Honestly, like the actual digging and sifting and and catalog they do everything you know under the supervision of, of uh, dr horton and a couple of his colleagues but uh yeah the kids they're not really kids because they're in their 20s but they're the one they're the real heroes man they're the ones that actually do everything
0: that's awesome
1: i'll right. come play for like an hour and then you know go off somewhere and catch some waves and come back <laughs> well, nice. they
0: students who are <laughs> Yeah,
1: what you find you know in the beginning i was there all the time but i kind of felt like okay we, like, you know just give them some space and and kind of bounce around and um we're constantly looking for new sites and one of them because you can't just dig wherever you want you have to have permission from property owners and and I'm the only one that can do that because if you're not from the island, like no one is going to trust you and ever because there's a, that's how small towns are. And especially in the South and there have been um, people have been taken advantage of before, but they know that I would never do that. So I'm constantly, you know, approaching people and trying to, to do it. And it, I'm like, we've been digging for 10 years. Do you know where we've been digging? They're like, nope. I was like, and you live on this island? They're like, yeah. I'm like, that's how good we are at Nice. Not running our mouth about it. We always tell people when they ask that we're digging behind the McDonald's because there isn't one,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> or across the street from the stoplight because there's there isn't one. Like it's that small. Wow, sixty miles long the island, but it's there's it's uh, extremely rural.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well I uh I will be an archaeology student, so if you do need an extra hand while you while you go surfing. <laughs>
1: Why not? Come on down. I think Henry Wright's from up there and that no, he's from Michigan, never mind. But uh do you know have you heard of him?
2: Uh
0: I I'm he's, not sure.
1: You heard of Indiana Jones, the movie? Like some right. yeah. of that some of the characteristics are based off of this guy. He's an American archaeologist and he's the four, he's the expert on all the native American things Um pottery pipes. And he knows, he knows that side of it the best. And then of course, Mark knows all of the English stuff because he's from England. And, um, you know, together those two is like unbeatable man. It's, it's a really, really top notch team. And I I'm so fortunate that these guys have, come down to the Island. Like I said, we've got two of the most famous archeologists in the world and in all these celebrities and whatever, and, and we don't even have McDonald's yet, you know, and, and yet they're <laughs> all coming here and digging up this stuff that's changing the world and this tiny little town. It's, it's surreal. That's amazing. Yeah. It's fun.
0: All right. Well, if you don't have anything else to say, uh, we'll jump right into our conclusion.
1: Right on, man. We'll buy this book. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will. It. The Lost Colony and Hatteras Islands. Get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or um, wherever you, you can find it.
2: Yeah, I will. I was actually going to add it to my reading list. <laughs> yeah. Be sure yeah. Be sure to buy this book if you're interested in uh, The Roanoke Lost Colony.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can sure. buy two so you can read it twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Buy
2: extra and give it to a friend. Yep. <laughs>
1: yep. There you go. So, solid, guys.
0: All right. So, we'll jump right into our conclusion. All right. We'll wrap this up. And then next week, we'll have another episode on a historical subject. And, uh, as usual, they'd like to give a shout out to Anchor as our podcasting service. That's been a miracle in making these episodes, and uh, we really couldn't have done it without it. And if you guys have ever wanted to make your own podcast, it's a great service to do that, and we highly recommend it. But more importantly, we'd like to give a shout out to our listeners as we continue to embark on this podcast. And for those of you who have liked to have been following the Facebook page, community page, and our Twitter as we continue to grow. And uh, we also want to give a huge shout out to uh, Scott Dawson today for taking his time out of his day to do this interview with us and uh, we really appreciate it Scott
1: yeah you're welcome man thanks for having me on
0: alright and uh, is there any place you want to plug in where they can find your book or follow the Crotone Archaeology Society
1: oh sure um, so cashatteras.com c-a-s-h-a-t-t-e-r-a-s dot com is our um, that's the Croato Archaeological Society website you can kind of follow what's going on um, and the easiest way to get the book is just to type the title in the Amazon the Lost Colony in Hatters Island um, if you want a signed copy they you can get it from buxtonvillagebooks.com and and they'll send you one that I signed and uh, if they run out I can always
2: Go there and sign more because I live near there.
0: Awesome. All right, sweet. So there you go. You can uh, you can go buy his book and uh, read up and see the real history behind the lost colony Roanoke. All right, Thanks, guys. Yep. And with all this being said, uh, thanks, guys, and have a nice week. This is Jacob Ian and our interviewer Scott Dawson.
1: Adios.
0: All right, Carpe diem, guys. Carpediem.
1: Yeah. yeah, man.